0: So the aim of uh, cultivation is release. um, Fundamentally release from suffering and stress. Release from ignorance. Release from craving. Release from fear. Release from hostility. Release from grasping. Release from believing in oneself to be some kind of isolated entity. Living in a world that can't belong to and yet can't cut out either. Very weird situation to be in. Mm. But that's what sense consciousness does, mm. it creates that experience in various ways. Mm. Sense consciousness, including mind consciousness, mano vijnana. It's a sense consciousness which is actually one of the key player because it's that which really locks locks the door. Hmm. And recognize you also have something uh, call it chitta, or Buddha called it chitta. Every language call it heart. Mm. Oh. Mm. And that senses everything. It's affected by phenomena that minds say belong to the past. Mm. Affected by phenomena that minds say are somewhere else, somebody else. Mm. Affected by all kinds of phenomena that transcend time and space affected by, you know, hearing about people in Australia. You know, what, the profundity of effects is connected to how intensely they're felt, you know, how distant they are in space or time, so chitta doesn't operate in terms of space or time, it operates in terms of intensities of feeling and perception. Right. So perceptions of something happened five years ago can still be extremely profound and shocking, and perceptions of things beautiful things can be still be inspiring and delightful. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the realm of chitta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just recognizing these different modalities and. Uh, In our practice, our aim is to make jitta has to be the key leader because that's what's affected by suffering and stress and it gets confused and agitated and in its confusion and agitation it starts to pump out all kinds of responses and reactions which may be associated with knee-jerk reactions, prejudices, jumping to conclusions, uh, fear, grasping. That emanates from jitta that intentionality, that motivation. So this has to be our focus to deal with this and the Buddha saying the purification of jitta um, and the release of jitta this is to be accomplished this is what can be released this is deathlessness the release of jitta from all grasping all grasping potentials all that can be grasped Mm. Upadana. So this has to be the leader or a central concern, which we kind of put the other senses on on hold, or well, maybe so, yeah, and particularly the mind consciousness. Maybe so. That's what you're telling me, but. Mm, Aim to to know where to look. This is a release from wrong view. Mm. Wrong wrong view is, well, you know, there's nothing given, nothing offered, no heartfulness in your life. It's just, uh, nothing can emanate from that heart pace of, of grandeur and nobility. That it's all just get what you can on the purely sensory level. And this is deeply destructive. And if we enter into that domain then pretty much we pretty soon get the message Hey, you've got to get some goodwill here. This is not going to work unless there's spaciousness, goodwill, tolerance, ethical sensitivity. This is not going to be happy. This is going to be cramped and agitated and stressful. It's already difficult enough, why make it worse? (laughs) So you keep working on that premise. Have faith in the, in the goodness, is, No matter how much there's confusions, um, working on so this is a release from wrong purpose, right? So you see, we can think of release as the big ultimate breakthrough. You know, trumpets pl- blare, Nirvana flashes open. Here we are, deathless has arrived at. Well, let's look at it much more as a as a common feature of what we're doing: <laughs> release from wrong view, release from wrong intention, right? release from wrong thought. Thought is what it's the, it's the mental constructions, uh, and these mental constructions. What are, they, what are they? Where's their basis? Are they? Forming from basis of anxiety, worry, grudge, resentment, pushiness, domination. Mm -hmm. So look at the ethical, the senses of what one's thinking about. Are they just aimed at kind of distracting? And if they are, why? Be sympathetic to it. What is it that one can't manage to be with? Why is it? Be sympathetic to it. Be heartful about that be kind to yourself in that be firm with yourself with that. be heartful it doesn't mean just be sentimental Mm. so we kind of contemplate speech is really the manifestation of thought through a filter Mm. and so we with being silent we begin to contemplate or acknowledge the movements of thought and then In some ways we are releasing ourselves from unskillful verbal karma. Everything we say affects our own minds, gives a trajectory, gives affirmation to our thoughts and of course affects others. And they're, they're resonating, they're reverberating, their hearts are moved by that. So just that sense of responsibility not gagging but responsibility this is release from irresponsible action and it's a possibility to say the helpful thing the kindly thing the generous thing let's do it it's a possibility to think the noble thought Let's think it. The thought of generosity, of openness, of tolerance, of goodwill. Let's think it. This just, is just release, in some extent, from unskillful karma. Which could be so habitual, we don't even really see it as karma, it's just bouncing. You, know? you don't notice the intentionalities there, they get buried beneath the habitual reflexes the mind just starts jumping around and slinging things out. In cultivating this, see? So you see, release is something that's not just about you know having some once-in-a-lifetime breakthrough into eroder cessation or something or the other, mm. this jargon stuff, excuse me, but um, I do get sometimes frustrated by how, how limited the scope of Buddhist practice can get. <laughs> you know, nothing else counts, apart from this can erode the moments and occur between one mime over the next, yeah, you know, but that can happen, but is that it? What are we doing the rest of the time? <laughs> and you see the possibility for a beautiful, enhancing life. That actually is taking release as its theme, you know, to be cultivating it on all levels. Yeah. And naturally, when we come to right thought, is rather tricky. You know, right intention can keep, keep reminding oneself and coming back to right thought is tricky because so much of it's just reflexive, reactive. Therefore, we say, then you meditate. <laughs> You sort of contemplate and try to find, what do you find? You go into your body, because the body, you've got some basis other than the Manovinyana to refer to, that your heart also can tune into. Heart is very, listens a lot to thinking. Because it, that's the way it expresses itself. How it feels something and it throws out a thought. That's what it's doing. So naturally, it's a very close connection between the citta and the manu. Sometimes they're almost seen as synonymous. People use the same word for them. I try to provide some sense of distinction. But then citta can listen into the body too, because again, that's part of what it receives, the the impulses of fear or rage or nervousness, the body triggers. Because that's also the way the chitta signals. If you're always frightened, the body closes up. Mm. So there's a very strong feedback loop between the body and the internal body, the body's energy system, and the chitta. And um, so we can see this in obviously in. in Obvious circumstances, you feel joy, you feel joy. What happens is you tend to find energy rising to your chest and face. Mm-hmm. Feel despair, you tend to find yourself sinking down. You don't say, I got really lifted up by despair. <laughs> Why do we use these terms? Why do we say I'm down? Down where? You look like the same same height. It means your energy is sinking. down low in your body, lower chest somewhere, feeling high it's all coming up into your face and then you're balanced, I'm feeling in a balanced state, you've probably got a pretty good whole body experience and that's considered better than high (laughs) because then you're actually much more openly, equanimously, evenly receptive. So that's that's that middle tone that calibrates or uh, defies the middle path. So we're not that you know, excited or jubilant. I ain't got anything against it, but just be careful. You know, The best range is the middle. We're just kind of gently warm, sensitive, responsive, not jumping to conclusions, not jumping with excitement, not jumping with... Agitation, because if you you let the jump happen the jump of excitement then probably the jump to careless speech will happen (laughs) yeah and you know what happens then you jump into careless speech somebody hits somebody else they jump into their careless speech and yada yada and then things unfortunate things can happen we're liable also to jump into our irritation so you want to Release yourself from the jump. <laughs> and that's really that's part of what meditation's about, just sustaining sati through those flickers and twitches and just keep going. And what do you use that? Use your breathing for that. Breathing to, to something you can be with that subsiding rhythm and then it go all the way out. And don't don't expect a new an in-breath. Just give up. the in-breath comes. So you can even monitor some of these reflex habits of jumping in terms of how, you, how your body operates because it becomes a reflex whereby you're always preparing yourself for the next thing before you've actually done this thing. Let this thing complete. So with mindfulness of breathing you get the sense of the complete Letting exhalation totally finish itself without preparing for the inhalation. And let it happen. They're handing over control to the body in this intimate way. The body knows what it's doing. I think to me, this is just a little bit of what I, how I sense mindfulness of breathing. I can give many, many talks and themes on that. But just this piece, because if i got a structured idea of, okay, I'll be unwaveringly mindful, mindfully aware of the breathing in, breathing out. Maybe I'll count to ten to make sure I get the breath right. One, two. I'm already kind of preparing two as one is happening. And I'm starting to measure, am I good at this? I lost my breath. Go back to it again. And where was it? I'm getting so much mental intrusion. My brain starts to get really unpleasant. Tight. And I'm in a competition to get those numbers up. You know, to make sure you get 10 breaths without wavering. Oh my God, this is... <laughs> and then you go, which part of you, which you focus on to get that right place? It just... Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop the counting. Let it wander. If it wanders, let it wander. Just notice you're wandering. Is that so bad? Does anybody's mind not wander? Is that bad? You should be on a way let's get those ideas out of it just be realistic and then what happens say it lifts off to a thought or impression oh it's you know, wavering and don't lie oh, where's this oh, and breathing out returning feel that sense of the mind spinning off and then excited stimulated worried or whatever then, yeah it feels like this now and how's that happening in the body? I feel buzzy in my head, around my eyes. And let's go back to the bodily sense of that, breathing out. Now, we're cultivating, growing something. If I find that experience of wandering kind of disagreeable or unsavory or something I don't feel good about, on an intuitive level, then just stay longer, as the inhalation and the exhalation complete themselves, and begin to put, allow something to arise it's really quite attractive. Because if something's attractive to the chitta, it will go for it. Now those kind of thoughts may be very attractive, they're presenting things to get excited about, or plan, or... Particular grudges we get stimulated by, how good is that? Just you no. Know, just you no know. then a the sense of comfort and easefulness and then that space when everything just pause. And then and every time that when you come into those pauses. So Those pauses. It. Not only is the the opening I find extremely sort of agreeable, not in a stimulating way. It's just the relief, ah. and then everything is freshened up by that. Everything comes more freshened up through that energetic release. Energy returns. It's fresher. And constant refreshing through allowing things to end, letting it go. And that kind of is a sort of a marker because the thinking mind doesn't know that, can't do it, but the body can, the breathing can. that's That's not something I'm faking or fixing or trying to have happen. And it's really interesting because it's also something whereby the fading out of phenomena is actually rather pleasant which the senses don't get at all, the ordinary senses they want something else to come in or replace the last thing so it's shifting to heart intelligence whereby the endings of things is subtly pleasing The arising things is fresh. It's not reiterated. It's not the same old program whirring away. It's something that's joyful. Oh. And then cleaning, cleaning the heart through this and body cleaning the heart. I guess this is why the Buddha recommended it and taught it. But if you're structuring it, be very careful about those structurings because the mind takes over, thinking mind takes over, not just in terms of thinking but in its views of reality. There's another level of mind which is not just around thinking, it's it's called attention and and the views of reality that occur from the thinking mind which are basically separative like every other sense consciousness brings separation so the mind separates I'm up here watching the breath down there I'm watching my breathing happening I am aware of my body there I am where Where are you then? probably in your head and you say why do people say that? why do they say it with my thumb or my wrist or my ankle? because in that experience, the energy in your head is generally quite inflamed, quite aroused. The face muscles, the forehead, if you get really good at it, your forehead tends to knot up, and your eyes tend to clench. It actually affects the face muscles, you're putting energy up into the head. As uh, you see, seen, people are struggling with a the problem, they knit their brows, they close their eyes, they mutter, they purse their lips. And what are you doing that for? Because it stimulates more thinking. <laughs> so, you know, so you go into the bodily aspect of the head, relax all the face muscles, relax the forehead, relax around the eyes. Mm-hmm. world seems softer, less sharply defined slightly dreamy at first. Things arise in a much more wave-like form. They're no longer separate packets. There's fluctuations and you feel them. Hmm. As I said in the siddha, with the arising of attention is the arising of phenomena with the ceasing of attention is the disappearance of phenomena so if your attention relaxes and softens you don't get so much that sense of like one thing after another pop 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 you're much more into the entering into the heart territory where things are fluctuating, emerging. Mm. And that area which can seem confusing, disorienting, is to be cultivated mm. through sensing it directly as it is and sensing where is the stress in this, where is the gripping in this, Where's the goodwill in this? Where's the right intention in this? Where's the faith in this? Faith trusting it. Goodwill soothing it, steadying it, comforting it. Mm. Not pressuring it. You know, really primary and essential cultivation whatever your object is so what I'm trying to present is relational potentials that move beyond when we're sitting still or in a group retreat I'm trying to move them into ways in which we relate to life as it's happening because it's all going to come in through those senses, of which the mind will be the dominator. The mind will tell you what to look at. The mind will tell you what it looks like. The mind will tell you what it should be. The mind will tell you how you're going to get it, or get rid of it. The mind will dominate. The mind will say, look at this, look at that. It won't say it verbally, it'll just grab your, it'll call this thing called attention, your visual field will suddenly shrink to one particular phenomenon that stimulates. Where the rest of it go? Yeah. The mind does that. Which, of course, we can make use of, but to be controlled by it. So we go tunnel vision preoccupied and worse not only to tell us what to see it begins to to um, interpret what we see perceptions he's like this she's like that really have you asked them Do you know that person? Have you related to them not just as some object in your mind that you have to deal with or make something of or figure out which is, what's happening? This is cultivation. Not just what we see but the way we see it and how dreadful that can be. No. We look on the broader level of human experience. When these Europeans went to America, for example, all the indigenous people were seen as savages. Because they didn't read the Bible, they didn't wear trousers, they didn't speak English or something, I don't know. Savages. So, objects. Not like us, object, not, not like us, interesting, interesting, could learn from this, interesting, could learn from this, curious, wonderful, not like us, oh, that's interesting, I wonder what's happening there, but not like us, something inferior to us, because, yeah, you know. And then the horrors of brutalisation that occurred through that, same thing in Australia, Colonization, not like us, brutal savages, objects, dominate, exploit, exterminate. And uh, quite willful, take their children away from them and make them into white people. And uh, so-called civilized, intelligent people with clear minds could construct such a horror and you know there's a whole story there which you can consider but why do people do that? <laughs> because of the mind. Because of loss of heart. Now you say, oh bad people, no, well, no, no just like you and me, <laughs> it's more the thing we should remember. <laughs> Same same problems as you and I have. Same blind spots. Mm. Led by the mind, I form opinions. Uh, see people as objects. Then, begin to see myself as an object called myself. What is that? Memory, a way of reviewing experience. Self referencing, a way of reviewing experience according to some, I don't know, template of what it could be or should be or want it to be. Mm. So it can own things and have things and be permanent and lasting and in control and never, never have to give way to anything else. Is, is this, you know, this way of reviewing experience, the internal experience. It's not an entity, it's, it's a habit. <laughs> you know, when the Buddha talked about not-self, he wasn't destroying an entity, he just saying kick the habit. <laughs> because can any of those references, that it be solid, permanent, unquestionable, final or annihilated, can, it, can any of those be, be held as true? Can it even be annihilated? So it's not an entity at all. It's it's a series of habits that can be soothed. Everybody gets it. We all get the same virus. It can be soothed, cured, healed, relieved, released. Well, that's the big picture, isn't it? Releasing from this construction. The mind backs up based upon confused intentions of fear of need, of gratification, of uh, these intentions that stream from the confused heart. Now those, okay, those happen, but we don't want to be back in a month, because this is mental karma. Verbal karma, physical karma is destructive and painful, but where does that come from? The mind. Verbal karma can be blurred and blotchy and messy. Where does it come from? The mind. What constructs those words? And where does that meant mind come from? It comes from a confused heart. Yeah, so then, yeah. Mm-hmm to begin to release oneself from the mind. Doesn't mean we don't have one, doesn't mean we kind of walk around in some wordless stupor, but just, okay, that's what my thinking, my my opinionated, my sense of focus does. Maybe I've got a few blind spots there, just maybe. (laughs) And whenever we get an attention and the sign is, whenever you, you conceive of anything as permanent, lasting, self, you're in trouble. There's a blind spot. And we do it internally, we do it externally. I conceive of she's that, he's this, he's one of those, he can never be this. Trouble, because we've made something that's variable and changeable and should be related to with sympathy and interest and kindly attention into some object I label and deal with as an object. And that's the fundamental cruelty of humankind. The withdrawal of sympathy, that's the basic cruelty. Once that act of cruelty has been done, there is nothing terrible that a human being will not do to another human being. Once that withdrawal, once that objectifying has taken place, then basically open opportunity for cruelty. And clearly, look at history, look at the world, definitely clear as daylight. Where does it begin? Is it those bad people over there? Nope. It's these people here. <laughs> it's what I do, or what happens if I, if something in me grabs hold of a fixed view. Hmm? So these things can seem like subtle, and esoteric, such as view and perception. That's the, we're looking at the roots of what binds the world and binds our own hearts into actions but we don't even acknowledge the brutality. Because if things are just dead objects, no problem. I can eat oysters alive, that's fine. I can throw lobsters into a pot and boil them to death, that's fine. And you can't actually get it. Gobs making you awful <laughs> to, to commit such pain inducing atrocities on fellow creatures. Yeah. They're just objects, it's just meat on legs. Mm. So, mm. And we typify people in the same sort of way. Now relinquishing that, making an effort to just allow ourselves also to not be an object of you know the good monk, the wise nun, the totally competent abbot, whatever, you know. Not just to be that, to release ourselves from those possibilities. Doesn't mean we can't do good. It's just we kind of I'll do the best I can according to what my heart senses, and I also recognise probably a few blind spots here. Help, I ask for your compassion. Seems a much wiser option than just I'm trying to be perfect. And then you cultivate that, and this is what's going to come back to you. <laughs> because it's cosmos, you know, which you can go from the trees, the oysters, you know, my own body, you and community life, some guy. It's all interconnected. It's a, it's the conditioned realm is an interconnected cosmos. And what you do in one area of it resonates across the whole field. Sense consciousness says it's different. Isn't it? <laughs> he's over there. Visual consciousness. She's out there. Mental consciousness. Oh, he's somewhere else. So in our practice, we even you know revere people who have passed away with gratitude. They don't have to be dead. Finished. End of. You know, the resonances are still here. And that sharing of blessings is to keep their perspectives. Mm. So, release from these wrong perspectives, release from the mind working on it. It doesn't mean release from that means what else? Then, what arises by itself in something else and that's that's the beauty of this realization process you don't get anything things start to reveal themselves you let go of what's confused and separative and blocked and obscured and fallacies truth starts to speak that's that's the beauty of the human condition in some ways it's always potentially there And we'll work on our bit of ignorance, the one that's happening for me. So you don't have to know a hell of a lot about Buddha Dharma in your head. You can get the basic sense of ignorance, craving, grasping, self view, okay, then when's it happening? And realize any of it. You wanna check those habits and pause, apamada. pause, be heedful. Heedlessness is the path to death. Heedfulness is the path to the deathless. And what, you know, we might think, what's that then? The Buddha is supposed to have realised the deathless, well, he snuffed it. didn't do very well, did he? That was a big con. <laughs> now the sense consciousness, of course. What we can discern in terms of sensory consciousness, that definitely, that's called death. What happens in the heart? What is death in the heart? What does that feel like? Yeah. Loss. Sign of something was there isn't there. You know, visual consciousness isn't there. Um, you know, conscious, that's kind of the consciousnesses aren't there. Or the sign of death, something will end, I will lose, I will not have. That sign of anxiety that's called worry, insecurity. What if that is experienced as it is? just respected steadied there's awareness you can go you can be aware of those tremblings and reverberations and difficulties and restrictions is it possible just to hold them respectfully breathing and awareness that maybe that Agitation will cease. Mm-hmm. And when this physical form dies we'll see. Uh, certainly the Buddha's understanding was it doesn't the doesn't die. So release from death, release from the fear, release from the grief, release from the holding on to what can't be held on to, this physical body can't be held on to. The training is to understand that mm. You and take that in deeply. This visual appearance is really not worth making much of a big deal out of The physical vitality, useful as it is, isn't going to be there forever Can you be aware of your physical vitality and your dwindling of it? Getting used to that Comfortable, that's okay Sensing in myself, 73, it's not 25 it's there, vitality's there, but it's not what it was. Sometimes it's just really flat. I can think, oh, you know, get it going, whip it up, get going, put more effort in on just It's like this now. Just bearing attention, holding on to that, and holding the body, and what's, com- what's suitable. Learning to live with low energy rather than, oh I can't practice, I hmm? can't oh, practice, well, you can't practice with low energy, what are you going to do when you're dying, if you can't practice then, what's your practice been about, because <laughs> you can't be mindful of some point in the end of your nose when you're dying of kidney failure, oh. <laughs> What's the point of that? But if you learn, you know, pain, physical sensations are this, you know, fear and agitation is this, sense of loss and anxiety is this, we've learned to manage it, and open around it. If you don't like it, nobody likes it. Get used to that. Quite a few things I don't like. So getting beyond these barriers that we Generate and create instinctively. These are not decisions. These are getting beyond even the decision making, volitional, but actually something quite inbuilt. This is the true deepening to be with one's pain, open around it rather than just bare and contract and tighten around it. It's not easy. But if you build up these other releases, it's going to be much more possible to cultivate this very immense transformation, fearlessness, free from sorrow, grief, lamentation and despair. And if you like, you know, we go to the microcosm, every time the breath ends, it's we're dead. Every time the in-breath goes, get used to it. That's the end of that. Like, it's never going to happen again. You get used to that. Get familiar. That's safe. It's actual. It's true. It's real. And, you know, nobody fails at dying. We all do it. <laughs> and that's, so we just practice that. Death of expectation. Death of result-seeking. Death of progress. Death of failure. Death of these structures that we we instinctively create or get instinctively created. Mm. You take your walking, for example. Look at how one instinctively structures that. For most people, walking is a visual experience. Not really much of a body experience at all, because walking is about getting somewhere. So the mind, getting you know, there, that's basically a mental experience. I'm going to get on with something. Visual experience, where am I going? Part of it, but actually, those those all those systems can't walk, can they? They can tell you where to walk and where you want to go, and look at visual objects, but they can't actually do the walking, can they? So, when we do what we call walking meditation, meditation walking, means you just drop the where to go, in terms of space, that's a visual experience, it's a mental experience, and backed up by the visual consciousness, none of those can walk. Where you're going to, you don't know yet, because it hasn't arrived but you know the space in front of you you can sense that directly otherwise you will not walk no matter how many messages you get in your head about where you're going no space in front of you there is no walking So let's get down to the basics space experience space in front of you and you can move and your body can move through that where you're going to you don't know yet you can imagine but you don't know, so you're sensitive. No expectation. And then the next thing you begin to aware of, you're leaving something. You're leaving, your foot is leaving the ground. You're leaving behind that which was known. You were standing, both feet on the ground, you're going to turn the body and one foot's going to leave behind and move into the unknown and the next and the foot will do the next foot the other foot will do the same you will keep leaving behind the known otherwise there's no walking so what really is occurring is a relinquishment of the known, the old position. If we really tune into that sense, it's kind of rather marvellous that the unknown is around, in front of me, in front of this body anyway, And I really don't, I can imagine what it is. My eyes can tell me what I see, but I don't actually know what feeling is going to occur. The body doesn't know. It only knows what it feels, and it feels space. And that's kind of uh, exciting. I love space. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Everything comes alive in it. The known I just get bored and frustrated by it. but it is a the known is actually guesswork. Bear this in mind. The known is either the past or guesswork. It's never now. Mm-hmm. If you want to be real attune to that and the unknown and the unknown opens and there's your possibility for fear uncertainty game plans projects, structures to fill in that space there's that possibility so you just ease up on that how much do you need? And you start to move into that. And what your physical body is doing is pretty straightforward. But looking at the psychologies of walking, what you can do. And if you don't, my opinion, okay, my opinion, I can only talk about what happens to me. If I don't do that, I just get bored walking up and down. It's like a jail sentence, plodding up and down, yeah, 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 yeah. And what's this going on for? Plod, 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 plod. Once you've done one plod, you've more or less done them all. You know, it's the same thing. Plot, 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 plot. Big deal. What's the point of that? (laughs) You know, I'm trying to ramp it up a bit, like really get those feet, sensations in the feet, touching the ground, the next one, next one. But come on, I'm not interested really. But if I'm psychologically shifting from that structured idea into I'm leaving behind, I'm moving, there's movement occurring in space. And it's... Rhythmic. There's a fluidity and a rhythm in that. That's also kind of, I've got some energy and some power here. There's an animal here. There's something animate. There's living, vibrant, sensing, balancing, keeping this body from falling over. Wow, there's that and the space. And it's using that. My practice, anyway, using it as a model to release the constructions of time, place, identity, aims, should do, trying to get concentrated, deal with this, and stop that noise. <laughs> and what happens by itself, what's revealed by itself, something that. I find extremely um, furthering, the taste of release. You know, you can't do this sort of stuff for 48 years without either getting bored out of your mind with it, (laughs) or finding it constantly fresh. Because every day after 48 years of doing it's it still fresh, <laughs> and it will never be anything but fresh. If it starts to get predictable, unfinished really, as a spiritual being. So how, to get, how to return to that, the release from the future, and uh, the idea, even ideas of whatever one constructs possibilities for release we recognize in our early experience some stuff just sticks it sticks and sticks and sticks and sticks and stop it sticks sticks you know little agitations tenseness nervousness you know bubbling stuff I can't quite manage well release the expectation that you're going to Deal with this. Release yourself from the pressure of trying to feel whole and vital and bouncy and alive and totally sorted. We're just, you know, just, it's not there And you start to, some things are not ready yet. It's not cooked yet. It hasn't. I mean, there's a lot of karma. You know, we only think it's karma is just me doing stuff. No, it's mental karma. And the karma of being in a, in a living arising in a context which is extremely saturated with greed hatred delusion sorry <laughs> not only but certainly there's a lot of that around so what do you think is going to happen to the heart it's going to get a bit twisted and it's going to close down and it's going to shut down it's going to grasp isn't it so that stuff just doesn't ease up that easy particularly when it's about defense policies and this people get structured in this sort of thin-skinned, sensitive, because stuff hasn't properly been fed and nourished. We get sensitive and thin-skinned and lose confidence, and don't feel welcome, don't feel worthy, don't feel loved, and all this kind of stuff. This is kind of what happens for people from defective contexts they arise within. Therefore, there's going to be quite an amount of fear and closure and mistrust. And, and that was projected out, I don't trust her, I don't trust him don't feel comfortable with these guys, you know, that's what happens. So, how do you get past fear? Fear says, don't move into the unknown, it's terrible. So you don't, you hold the closure. Fear says, it's bad out there, don't open up, so you keep closed. Sooner or later, you've got to have the act of faith, I don't want to live with this anymore, I'll just move out an inch, I'm going to go into the water, I can't stand on the edge the rest of my life, I've got to go into the water, whatever, I just can't live in this state of contraction, you start to inch out and at least trust your body, trust your breathing. Trust the space of walking and cultivate like that. Begin to recognize the freedom from that contraction and compulsion. This is where I want to go. I don't know how to do it, but I trust this sense. If deeply cultivated and taken from this seemingly microcosmic level of meditation into something much more broad-spanning, I'll trust the future. Because I don't want to live in fear of it. Mm. I'll trust the mendicancy. So I don't want to live in fear. I'll trust that oh, I'll deal with what comes up, rather, oh, I have a strategy. I don't want to live strategizing. Yeah. And therefore, this is the going forth, isn't it? You do that as a nun, an agarica, an agarika, monk, samanera, try as a layperson, try to cultivate these qualities. It's not supposed to be an ordination ceremony, it's supposed to be something that's an act of the heart. And then this will certainly you feel your way into that domain, the domain of release. And you'll never regret it. it keeps you alive. When his body fades out, we'll see, we'll see. But now is the deathless.